good morning, Christ Central. How are you? It is good to see you. Thank you for choosing to be with us this morning. Um, as Timothy just said, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors and uh, coming back off of sabbatical. So if uh, you're a recent guest, new guest, I'd love to meet you. I'll be outside near the repair table and at Coffee and Connections and we'd love to meet you. So please come by after the service. It really has been good for my soul to see many who've been coming back after a few years of pandemic and feeling comfortable worshiping together again. And, uh, and it's been good to, to meet many of you for the first time and others after being gone for sabbatical. Uh, I really am thankful for everybody who's a part of this church and thankful for Christ Central. Uh, if you were here last week, we began a new sermon series. We titled it on being the church. And we're going to take uh, five weeks looking at different metaphors that the Bible uses to describe the church. Uh, our hope in doing this series is that we will take a serious examination into what God intends his church to be. I, I feel like I need to say up front that we are not asking what your experience has been of the church. Uh, all of us have varied experiences of the church, good and bad. And so I realize some of you might say you've been hurt by the church. Others of you might say you're exhausted by serving in the church. Maybe you have this underlying mistrust in the institution of the church. Perhaps you would just say, I'm, I'm really just bored by the church. We will address these realities and reasons uh, for our experience of the church in this series, but our examination of, on being the church is really about what God reveals in his word to be his intent for the church. Last week, we looked at the metaphor of the church's family, God's oikos. This week, we're going to look at a very famous, popular metaphor on the church as the body. And so if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 12 through 27. This is God's word to us this morning. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our, un and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. For God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for your church. Lord, this morning we got to see people become members of this local expression of the body. 
We'll get to see somebody baptized at the 1045. We thank you that you are growing your church here at Christ Central. And we thank you for all the churches that make up this city, the churches around the world. And, And so, Lord, I pray now that you would illumine our minds, inflame our hearts, reveal your your word into our minds and our hearts so that we understand what it means to be your people. God, I pray that you would continue to form and shape us into the body of Christ. I pray that as I preach the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts will be pleasing to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, the 18th century uh, founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, in his day, began to be concerned about the rise of denominations in the church. And Wesley had a dream one night. In his dream, he was ushered to the gates of hell, and there he asked, are there any Presbyterians here? Yes, came the answer. And then he asked, are there any Baptists, any Episcopalians, any Methodists? And the answer each time was yes. In much distressed, Wesley then was ushered to the gates of heaven, and there he asked the same question, and the answer was no. No? To this, Wesley asked, well, who then is inside? And the answer came back, there are only Christians here. Wesley would, of course, say there are differences in the church universal. There are theological differences, cultural differences, there are lived out differences, but what Wesley was saying is what I think the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is that we have so much more in common than our differences. Paul says here and in other places like Romans chapter 12, you are one and many. The many are one. One and many. The many are one. The church is intended to be a community of unity amidst diversity. Just like the physical body is one but made up of many parts, so the church is made up of many different people, gifts, abilities, but is to be one. The problem in Corinth is a problem that I think we often face in the church today, is that there was great divisiveness in Corinth as there can be today. In Corinth, the problem arose as the church created a ladder system of giftedness. There were certain gifts that were high on the ladder and therefore worthy of greater honor. And there were certain gifts that were low on the ladder, therefore deserving of less honor. In Greco-Roman society, the body metaphor, it was often employed to describe uh, the way that the polis, the public life of the society, should be organized. In the first century Greco-Roman world, society was highly stratified according to wealth, power, and social standing. And so the body metaphor was used to remind lower class people to stay in their place, emphasizing that the emperor is the head, the elite are the important parts like the hands and the feet, and everyone else is in their place to support those in more prominent positions. It was a metaphor of subjugation. And the Corinthian church was replicating this reality of subjugation within itself by elevating certain people and oppressing certain people based on giftedness. They looked more like this society and culture than they did the church God intended. And sadly, the church in North America often looks more like society and culture than the people of God has intended us to be. Now, before I get into being the body 
I want to take a little bit of time and look into a little bit deeper into this issue of divisiveness and what really caused it here in Corinth. Look at the two statements that are being uttered within the church. Verse 16, some are saying, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong. Verse 21, others were saying, well, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. The two statements that are being uttered in the church are, are I do not belong and I have no need of you. I do not belong is a statement of shame. It's a statement of feeling inferior. I have no need of you is a statement of pride. It's a statement of feeling superior. And these statements are different sides of the same coin, both stemming from a place of self-centeredness. Each of us, when living with the self at the center, can oscillate between uttering both of these statements at differing times. Have you ever said, I, I don't know if I belong? Or, or maybe within your heart, I, I don't know if I have need of that person. Of course you have. We all have because we all struggle with shame and pride. I know I do. Uh, eight years ago, Timothy and I went on this nine-day intensive with Chip Dodd, who, if I could just plug, is our men's retreat speaker. He is the author of our men's Bible study material. Uh, and we spent nine days with Chip and three other men, Jeff Schulte, Stephen James, Phil Herndon, uh, and they led us with four other men on this nine-day intensive looking at how our stories relate to our callings in this world. And on the second day, the ten of us were circled up around in chairs, and they started to talk to us about how everybody lives by the ladder, this ladder that we all kind of measure ourselves against one another. We're, we're always comparing how we measure up. Are we comparing ourselves and, and feel like we're high up on the ladder, therefore feeling a sense of pride? as we compare ourselves against one another, are we feeling low on the ladder, therefore feeling a sense of shame? We're always comparing ourselves. It sounds a lot like Corinth. Well, Chip posed the question, where have you placed yourself on the ladder within this group already? It was a, it was a powerful moment because in that moment, everybody shared with honesty and owned the truth that every single one of us had been living out of shame or pride within the last two days, comparing ourselves against one another. Shame and pride, two sides of the same coin of self-centeredness. In 2006, thousands of American college students filled out a survey. And they weren't told what it was, but it was actually the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, the NPI, which is a psychological evaluation that asks for responses to statements such as, I'm an extraordinary person. I am more capable than other people. Everybody likes to hear my stories. Or if I ruled the world, it would be a better place. And the NPI, it has been given to college students for several decades now. By looking at the change in responses over time, a recent study shows that a 30% increase in narcissism has occurred over the last 30 years. Even more striking, in the 1950s, 12% of teens agreed with the statement, I'm an important person. In the 1980s, just 30 years later, 80% of teens agreed with that statement. By our own reckoning, we live in an ever-increasingly self-centered world. And a church where people live with self at the center will ultimately lead to destruction. Cancer is when the body turns in on itself. It's deadly. Divisiveness stemming from self-centeredness is cancerous. It can and will destroy and kill the church. 
So Paul writes to correct the Corinthian church and to correct us today. And he uses this metaphor of the body. And so I want us to ask two questions today. What does it mean to be the body? And how do we function as the body? What does it mean? Let's look first. We'll we'll look here in verses 12 to 13. Look at verse 12. Paul writes, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, how Paul finishes that sentence should catch you by surprise. Because you would think Paul is going to say, though many are one body, so it is with the church. But Paul says, so it is with Christ. Listen, the church is so important that church and Christ are interchangeable meaning the church is Christ in the world. The church is Christ's presence in the world. We see that God views the church this way in places like Acts chapter 9, where Saul, who would later become Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, he's persecuting God's church. He's on the road to Damascus, and God blinds him with a light. He falls off his horse, and then he hears a voice, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul is probably like, what? I don't even know who you are. I'm persecuting these lowly people who call themselves Christians. God says, that's right. You are persecuting me. The church is Christ in the world. Jesus says in the Gospels, what you've done to the least of these, you have done to me. So one quick point, Christ central. What a weight. What an honor to represent Jesus Christ in the world. Look at verse 13. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. All Christians are baptized into one body. Now, we're not sure if Paul's talking about water baptism or spirit baptism, but we do know that baptism is a, is a sign of entrance into something greater than oneself. I love how Eugene Peterson translates verses 12 to 13. Listen to what he, what he says in his translation. He says, by means of Jesus' one spirit, we all said goodbye to our partial and piecemeal lives. We each used to, look, to independently call our own shots, but then we entered into a large and integrated life in which Jesus has the final say in everything. This is what we proclaimed in word and action when we were baptized. Each of us is now part of his resurrection body, refreshed and sustained at one fountain, his spirit, where we all come to drink. The old labels we once used to identify ourselves, labels like Jew or Greek, slave or free, are no longer useful. We need something larger, more comprehensive. Christ Central, we are one body in Christ. We are baptized into one body in Christ, not in politics, not in community, not in justice. Politics, community, justice, they do not have enough mass to be the center of the church. Our center of gravity is and must be the Lord Jesus Christ. The church, it is this motley crew. I'm looking at you, we're a motley crew of men and women, young and old, blue collar, white collar, healthy and sick, fit and flabby. And what holds all of us together? Christ. And Christ alone. As Peterson says, the old labels we used to identify ourselves with are no longer useful. 
We are in Christ. One of my good, good friends from seminary was sharing recently about how he had been thinking about all that was going on in Afghanistan and how the Taliban is hunting down and persecuting the church. And they're putting up checkpoints all across the country. And do you know what the Taliban is asking as they're looking for Christians throughout Afghanistan at these checkpoints? Not, are you a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer? Not what you believe or don't believe about critical race theory. But they're looking to see if someone has a Bible app on their phone. Or if they're carrying a real Bible. Because the Taliban knows that a relationship with Christ is the center of his people. Listen, the church has so much more in common than our differences. In Christ, we share the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the promised return and consummated kingdom of Jesus. We share in the love of a father, the forgiveness of our sins, the spirit of God that lives within and unites us together. We are part of something so much larger and more comprehensive. We are one body in Christ. That's what it means to be the body. Well, secondly, how do we function as the body? Look at verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. Very One but many. Many but one. Right? Unity does not mean uniformity. We are not one big ear. How weird would that be? One big ear just walking around. <laughs> weird. We'd be a monster, not a body, if we were uniform. Some are ears, some are hands, some are feet. And our differences do not disappear in the body of Christ. We are united by our standing in Christ, but we're all different in our stories and our gifts and our abilities. And you may have heard this metaphor before of the body. Maybe you've even heard people talk about gifts in the body. I want to make a, a little nuance to what we might think and to what I, I actually think Paul is teaching here. Paul is not saying that each person has one particular gift. So each person better go, like the application of the sermon is everybody go home, take your spiritual gift test, and find out your one specific gift. As if we all need to feel the pressure to know, is my gift teaching, is my gift encouraging, is my gift serving? Your one specific gift is not the member of the body of Christ. You are. And yes, you might have the gift of teaching or encouragement or service, but you are more than your gift. And you bring everything you are to the table and into the body of Christ. You bring your joys and your pains, your strengths and your weaknesses, your successes and your failures. Each of you are unique in the body of Christ. And in that, God wants to use each of you uniquely. We have a phenomenal staff team. We really, really do. And we're all different. I was kind of reflecting on that this past week. Each, each of us has a gift to the whole of our staff team. And let me tell you, Christ Central Church, you are way better off that we have a Jordan Reich and a Meredith Miller, and I could list our whole staff team rather than 12 Daniel Masons. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. Take Jordan Reich, for instance, my brother is as patient as they come, as kind, and he has all the time in the world for anybody. Daniel, not always. I have other gifts. I'm different. And our church is better. And our city is better. 
by having each of our staff having unique gifts and living it out as a part of the body of Christ. There are certain people in our city that you are uniquely gifted to reach. There are certain pains that you are uniquely equipped to hold. There are certain addictions that you are uniquely able to come alongside because of all that you have gone through. So please don't utter the phrase, I don't belong. Yes, you do. And if we apply this not just to ourselves but to our neighbor, the person to your left or to your right, this is when I think it becomes dynamite in the church because the person to your left is a gift. It's a gift to be honored and to be used in your life and in the lives of others. And so we can never utter, I don't need you. Yes, we do. We need the strengths and weaknesses of everyone. Jeff Miller as a part of our church, told me a story recently that I thought was a, a beautiful application of this. Jeff is a, a Duke grad, a commercial real estate broker. He was walking downtown one day, headed to grab lunch, and a man came up to him and asked for some food. And Jeff said he was in a hurry, but he stopped and got this man some food. And after giving him the food, the, the man said, would you pray for me? And, and Jeff said, I'll only pray for you if you pray for me. And the man said, I, I don't really know how to pray, but okay, I, I'll pray. So Jeff prayed, and then this man prayed, and Jeff said, this man schooled me in prayer, taught me how to pray. God used Jeff in this man's life, and then God used this man in Jeff's life. We all bring ourselves into the body of Christ. And as we do, God uses each of us uniquely so that we experience the presence and the love of God through one another. Here, here's the thing, Christ Central. Our, our neighbors, Durham as a city, our world, they don't just need to hear about the love of God. They need to encounter the love of God in Christ. They need to feel the compassion and the love of Jesus. And this happens through his presence, through his body, the church. So when people like Chelsea and Evan and Steve and others of you swing hammers and hit nails into these houses, it's not you, it's Jesus who is doing this. When a city group gathers to watch a football game and invites neighbors into their home to watch a game, it is Jesus being hospitable. We are Jesus' body. This is what he's left the world. The church isn't made up of people who always see things eye to eye. But we are a people who are bound together heart to heart, facing Christ, living on his mission to the world. Every Sunday we come here for worship and we embody the liturgy of the gospel story. And we come to this table like we're about to do here in a minute. Every Sunday we hear the creator God call us into his presence. And we confess our sin. And we believe that the wages of sin is death separation from Christ, to be severed from his body. And then it is the broken body of Jesus that we celebrate at the table, the body that he gave for the life of the world that every one of us needs. The one who held all power gave his body so that you and I can be a part of the body. And we do this every Sunday because it's what each one of us needs the most, to be converted and reconverted into who we are in Christ, to have the center of gravity be Jesus, 
For he is the head of the body, his church. And to the degree that we recenter our gravity on him by repenting of our sins of shame and pride, self-centeredness, the more we believe and feast on his grace through his broken body is the degree that we will stay connected to Christ the head and then function and flourish as his body in the world. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would reveal to us the ways in which shame and pride run its course in our hearts and in our minds. The way we can be divided as your people. Lord, I'm so thankful that we are not all ears, that we're not all hands, that we're not all feet, but that, Lord, we are the body of Christ. And not just in our giftedness, Lord, but we are in, we are in you. You are the center of all things. You're what hold us together, God, in a, in a community that's different in its political views and ideologies and stories and histories and circumstances, Lord, you unite us in Christ and you gift us and you've authored our lives and stories and you've given us abilities that are all different. What a beautiful picture the body of Christ is. And Would we be the body of Christ for the flourishing and for the sake of the world? Would Durham, would the world see and experience the genuine presence of Christ through your church. So in your name we pray, amen.